There's a story about a rather uh, cocky young man who came to the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates. He was asking for wisdom. He walked up to him and he said, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for, for wisdom. In response, Socrates said, Well, follow me. And he led the young man through the street and down to the seashore and about waist deep out in the ocean water. And then he said to the young man, Now tell me, what is it that you want? He said, Wisdom, O wise Socrates. He's kind of said with a little smirk and a smile. Socrates walked around behind him, grabbed him by the shoulders, and shoved him under the water. Kind of held him under for about 20 seconds. Then he grabbed him by his coat and pulled him back out. And the guy kind of was like, whoa, kind of sputtered a little bit, spitting out a little salt water. And he says, now, tell me again, son, what is it that you want? He said, I want wisdom, O great and wise Socrates. He kind of said, as he took a deep breath, Socrates grabbed him, shoved him back under the water again, and he held him under for about 40 seconds. Finally, he kind of came up, sort of gasping and sputtering for air. He says, one more time, young young man, tell me what you want. He says, well, I want wisdom, O wise and wonderful. And about the time he said that, Socrates shoved him under again. And he held him under until the kid started thrashing his arms around and throwing like he was drowning. And then he pulled him up. He's choking and spitting out salt water and gasping for air. And he said, what is it that you want, son? He said, air! I need air! Socrates said, well, young man, when you want wisdom as badly as you just wanted air, you'll find it. And he left him in the ocean and walked away. And as I read that story, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think of Jeremiah 29, 13, where the scripture says, You will seek me and find me, God says, when you search for me with all your heart. And again, the warning of Moses to Israel in Deuteronomy 4, 29, that if they drifted away into idolatry, he said, But from there, if you will seek the Lord, you will find him, and you will, if you seek him with all your heart, and with all your soul. You see, do, do, do you want God? He's not hiding anywhere. Do you want a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus? You can have one. It, it requires diligence and discipline and determination. It has to be a priority, not a, not a convenience. Several years ago, uh, there's a young man who was coming to our church here for a little while. He's now moved away to another place. But he told me once that his mother had come down to visit him. And, uh, and uh, he said to her, or she said to him, uh, Son, have you been going to church lately? She was a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, Son, have you been going to church lately? He said, Well, Mom, I've been trying. And she kind of grabbed him by the shirt sleeve and pulled him down because she was very tall and she was very, he was very tall. She was very short. She, she grabbed him by the shirt sleeve and pulled him down and said, son, you don't just try. You do it. I thought, go mom. But see, there's the thought. God said, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, there is an element of diligence and discipline and determination that God lays out before us if we want a relationship with Him. And while we, we firmly believe and we have preached to you for many, many years the, the truth of the sovereignty of God, 
We also firmly believe in the responsibility of man. You see, both of those truths throughout the scripture, I cannot tell you where sovereignty ends and where human responsibility begins, nor can I describe to you precisely how those two great Bible truths mesh together. But but you see, both of those truths running side by side through the Word of God. And the great preacher Charles Spurgeon from the 1800s used to describe them as, as a railroad track running through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They never intersect, but if you emphasize one and ignore the other, then you end up with a theological train wreck. And those two truths are very powerful and all over the scripture that yes, God is the sovereign ruler of his universe. And yes, man is responsible for his behavior. And and our efforts to perfectly harmonize those two truths lead some people into very foolish, unbiblical conclusions. uh, But we accept them and we believe them because the Bible teaches them. We're reminded again of the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 29.29, where he said the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of this law. What Moses is saying is God has not explained everything to us, but all that God has revealed to us is for the purpose of our obedience to him. Which brings us back to the concept of wisdom. Do we want it? Do we wish we had it? Can we even define what it is? You see, every day, and we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1 in just a moment, if you'd like to turn there. Proverbs chapter 1, every day we face dozens of decisions. Some of them are relatively unimportant, like what should I eat for lunch? That may be a very important question to some of you, but it's relatively important in the grand scheme of things. Or which shirt should I wear to preach in this weekend? Well, I usually let my wife make that choice because then I'll look better and I need all the help I can get these days. Uh, but there, you know, there are other decisions that are, that are very important. Uh, but, but it is, in some of those decisions, very clear what we should do. Like, uh, should I cheat on my taxes? Should I steal from my neighbor? Should I lie to my boss? Now, we may not do the right thing, but we definitely know what the right thing is. Uh, but there are other decisions that you and I face where the answers are not quite so clear. The choice may have a major impact, maybe even a life-changing impact, But we just aren't quite sure what to do. The answers aren't always crystal clear to us. Uh, The path looks looks a little murky, and and the the ultimate destination looks a little fuzzy. Like, uh, should I take this job, or should I hang in there where I am? How much debt should I take on, or should I even take on any debt in this circumstance? Or how can I deal with this unreasonable boss and still maintain a clear testimony for Jesus? Or for all of our young people out there that we are concerned for and pray for quite a bit, you might ask yourself, should I date this guy who likes me? Who should I date? Should I be friends with this person? What kind of person should I marry? What should I do for a life career? How much education should I have? There are just tons of decisions that we face at various stages of life in which the answers may not be obvious. There is no thou shalt or thou shalt not about a lot of our choices. 
Yet we have to be able to make those decisions and many more like them because the choices that we make will ultimately change our lives and have enormous impact on our testimony for the Lord Jesus. And the purpose of life for people who know Jesus Christ is to bring glory to God and advance the cause of Christ. So our choices are incredibly important. So we're going to begin a series of messages this morning on the book of Proverbs. Bible students have cataloged about 930 Proverbs in this collection of ancient sayings, yet most professing believers or followers of Jesus only know a handful of them, if any at all. So I'm looking forward to sharing with you insights from this book of wisdom over the next few months. I'm going to share with you a definition of wisdom as part of the message in just a few minutes, but I want to begin today by reading the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. And in these verses, we want to unpack for you four reasons why we should study the teachings of this book. Not only study the book, but master the teachings in it so we can live it. So Proverbs chapter 1, we'll read the first seven verses, and then we'll talk about these four reasons why it's important to know and understand what's in this incredible book. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why should we be very familiar with this book? The first reason is because of its author. Verse 1 says, They are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. If you were to go all the way through the entire book, just as a kind of a brief overview, chapter 1 all the way through chapter 9 are like teaching lectures given by a father to his son. You see it here in verse 8, uh, that my son, hear the instruction of your father, do not forsake the law of your mother, there'll be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And on and on. And you see these kind of, it's, a, it's like a lecture from, his, from a father to, to his son. My son, listen to my voice. My son, listen to what your mother tells you. How many times have we heard that over the years, huh? You know, if, 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 my son, if sinners come and try and draw you in, tell them no, tell them no. And we see nine chapters of these, of these teaching lectures given by, we presume, Solomon to his sons. And then in chapter 10, up through chapter 24, there we have a whole bunch of dozens and dozens and dozens of, of individual, standalone, wise sayings of Solomon. And then chapter 25 up to chapter 29, you've got a whole bunch more sayings of Solomon that were added to this, this collection by King Hezekiah about 200 years later. 
And in chapter 30 and 31 are wise sayings that are, that are uh, attributed to two men we don't really know, Agur and, and Lemuel, although ancient Jewish traditions indicate that the name Lemuel was probably a reference to Solomon. Some Bible students believe Agur was also just a pen name, a pseudonym they might call it, for, for Solomon. So we believe Solomon wrote at least the majority of the book of Proverbs. Solomon also wrote Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Song of Solomon. So Solomon did a lot of teaching and a lot of writing. Much of it Holy Spirit inspired and preserved for us by God. But there's a couple things to notice here. First of all, he says these are Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. A proverb comes from a word that means likeness. And it's kind of the idea of making comparisons and contrasts and maybe offering an object lesson that helps the reader choose a wise course of action. We're going to see many examples of this in the book. They are life principles, truths to build our lives on. And then it says they are the Proverbs of Solomon. Of course, the author or the compiler of them. And one of the reasons why that's important is because if we learn from Solomon, we are learning from one of the wisest people who ever lived. It'd be like swimming training with Michael Phelps or learning to play hockey with Wayne Gretzky or golf lessons with Tiger Woods. Or it'd be like going to a basketball training camp that was led by Michael Jordan. Or actually, I would vote for a Christian basketball camp led by David Robinson. But, but, but when we learn from Solomon, uh, we are learning from one of the wisest men who ever lived. Hold your finger here for just a moment and look back at 1 Kings in chapter 4. 1 <clears throat> Kings in chapter 4. Give you just a second to find it. 1 Kings chapter 4. We're going to begin to read in verse 29. 1 <clears throat> Kings 4 verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Henan, and Kekal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. We don't know who those men are, but apparently in their day they were famous for their wisdom and their writings. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of trees, from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He also spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And the men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Interesting thoughts. God gave Solomon, the scripture says, wisdom and tremendous insight and a breadth of understanding that was as immeasurable as the sand on the seashore. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. He talked about plant life, animals and birds and reptiles and fish and people sometimes from nations 2,000 miles away. In fact, you may be familiar with the famous story of the Queen of Sheba, which is down in Ethiopia. That's over 2,000 miles away from Israel. And of course, you don't have air travel. 
don't have vehicle travel. You walked or you rode a horse or a camel. And they traveled sometimes from 2,000 miles away just to come to Jerusalem to hang out with Solomon and listen to him speak and teach. He was world-renowned. Thousands of miles in all directions, people came to see Solomon and just hang out there at the palace and just listen to him. And by the grace of God, we have the opportunity to hear Solomon speak today through this book. That's the first reason why we should read it and study it. The second reason we need to pay attention to the book is because of its purpose. Verses 2 through 6, there are six little clauses, we call them purpose clauses, that all begin with the word to. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of, of wisdom, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma. Let me give you those six. The first one there, to know wisdom and instruction. To know means to be connected with. To understand what wisdom and instruction is. To actually have a connection with wisdom and instruction. And then that next phrase, to perceive the words of understanding. To perceive meaning to be aware of, to, to recognize the words of understanding. I'm sure Solomon would say that there are many people who are being told wise things, but they're not plugged into it. They don't even realize that they're being told something wise, and, and they, they don't even recognize the information. So he wants people to perceive or to be aware of or recognize words of understanding. Then he said to receive the instruction of wisdom. In other words, to, to get it. That's what it means to, to receive it, to actually, to actually get it, to be able to process that, that wisdom and instruction. And then his fourth reason, he said, to give prudence to the simple. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. The word prudence there simply means careful management. That is, you, you look at the reality of the situation, you look at what's going on around you, you kind of process it, and you can carefully manage what's happening. And then he says, I want to give those kinds of things to the simple. Now, often when we use the word simple today... We say, oh, that guy's really simple. Well, we're, we're talking about their, their intellectual ability. That's not what Solomon's talking about. You know, the, the word here that's translated simple, and we will see it all throughout the book of Proverbs. It's there dozens and dozens of times. It, 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 it comes from a word that means an open door. It means your mind is an open door. And according to Solomon, that's not good. It's not good to have your mind as an open door. That we need to put guards around our mind. We need to protect our mind. In other words, we might, we, we might use the word naive. They just believe anything. And he said, I want to give prudence. I want to give careful management skills to people who are naive. So they can look at the issues of life. They can look at what's going on. They can make wise choices. And they don't get led down a wrong path into foolish things. And then he said to give young men knowledge and discretion. That is, d d discretion knowing how to act in various circumstances. And then he also said to understand proverbs and enigmas, which he explains those in the rest of verse 6. The, the proverb is the words of the wise, and enigma is not a word we use, kind of an archaic word. Simply means it means riddles, or a word picture that doesn't have a real plain meaning initially, but you think about it for a minute and you'll get it. 
There's one interesting one that I, uh, I came across when I was a teenager that's kind of stuck in my mind all these years. Now, 50 years later, I still kind of get a kick out of it. Solomon, <laughs> Solomon wrote this, and he said, uh, he said, As a jewel of gold in a pig's nose, so is a beautiful woman without discretion. And I remember reading that. I was now 14, 15, 16 year old, so I thought, what in the world are you talking about? We're a jewel of gold and a pig's... Oh, okay, I get it. All right. He's, he's, saying that, he's saying that a beautiful woman with no character is like putting a golden jewel in a pig's nose. You can see what's most important. It's not the beauty, it's the character. See, those are, those are enigmas. Those are kind of riddles. Those are kind of word picture sayings that you kind of process the word image, then you get what Solomon's talking about. And here is where I want to give you a definition of what wisdom is. The word literally means skill. It's a word that's used in other parts of the Old Testament for the skill of administrators, the skill of builders and craftsmen and sailors. But in this context, he's talking about skill in living. Wisdom means having the skills necessary to live your life in a God-honoring way. Making good choices in life, God-honoring choices, taking the principles of Scripture and applying them to the realities of life so we make God-honoring choices. So when we talk about having wisdom, and we'll see this all over the book of Proverbs, he's talking about having skills to live your life in a way that pleases God. You know, there are some people who are very intelligent, but they are not wise. They have a high IQ. But they make horrible choices. They have an impressive education or impressive educational credentials, but they have screwed up lives. They're, they're, they're brainiacs in a lot of ways, but they have messed up relationships. You see, he's not talking about how intelligent how, or how highly educated the person may be or how high their IQ is. He, is. he says that we need the skills necessary to live our lives in a way that honors God. Because lots of people are intelligent, but they're not very wise. And then there are people who are wise, and their wisdom isn't measured by book knowledge or the ability to pass a test, but they consistently make Good decisions. That's, that's wisdom. They understand the realities of life and the consequences of our choices, and they apply the principles of God's Word to real-life situations, and they live a blessed life. So this is very practical information for us. It's dealing with reality. It's dealing with the complexities of life and coming up with God-honoring answers to tough situations. We all need to do this. We all need to learn how to get along with our neighbors, what to do with a difficult boss, and how to manage the material things that God, that God gave us. We have to take uh, the, our, our, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to apply it to our day-to-day -day circumstances. The famous Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote once, Following Christ does not obliterate our human life. And what he meant by that was that following Jesus certainly changes our outlook and our perspective and our destiny, but we still work and eat and recreate and socialize. And, and we need to learn how to do those things for the glory of God. Our faith in Christ should touch Every area of our life, not just our Sunday activity. We need godly skill 
in daily living. And that's what wisdom is all about. Having godly skill in daily living. Then the third reason we want to look at is because of uh, Solomon's target audience. You know, one of the most important steps in writing a book is to define your audience. If you're going to if you're going to write a book, publishers say you need to understand the sort of person who's going to either walk into a bookstore and buy it or find it on the internet and buy it. And according to verse four and verse five, there are two target audiences. Mind in mind, he says to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. The first target audience is the young and the simple. And again, simple is not meant to be a slam on anyone. As we said a moment ago, it means that your mind is an open door, which Solomon says is not good. You have built no protections around your mind. You're letting in all sorts of influences that are not wholesome and spiritually healthy. You should guard what you watch, and you should guard what you listen to, and where you go, and what you expose yourself to. And children and teenagers have open minds that are being formed and framed and developed, and they need to learn how to guard themselves, how to build protection around their inner man. They don't automatically have the skills they need to make life-changing, long-term decisions. They could go either way. They could take the path of wisdom or they could take the path of foolishness and I'll tell you between the age of 15 and the age of 25 and all of us oldsters can tell you that for sure between the age of 15 and 25 a person makes an enormous number of life-altering choices it is such a critical time period you, you, you are setting the course for your life if you're in that age bracket or if you have children in your home or grandkids that, you, uh, that are in that age bracket, between 15 and 25, they just kids make just an enormous number of life-altering choices. And they can go either way. They can take the path of wisdom or they can take the path of foolishness. And so Solomon says, I want to guide the young and the simple to make godly decisions. You see, it's a lot easier to make good decisions up front than to go back and clean up the mess down the road, as many of us can attest. C. Truett Cathy, who was the, the founder of the famous Chick-fil-A restaurants that many people are just beginning to become aware of here in Montana. They've been around a long time other parts of the country. But C. Truett Cathy, a very fine Christian man, he wrote, to, he's passed away now, but he wrote, he wrote a booklet many years ago titled, It's Easier to Build Boys Than to Mend Men. Had it on my shelf for many years. Just this little tiny book. It's easier, it's either easier to build boys than to mend men. That is Solomon's philosophy. He said, I'm writing these things, I'm writing them down so that I can help the young and the open, the, those with an open mind, to, to make godly choices so that in that critical age period, they make the right kinds of choices. But of course, not all of us are young. And Proverbs gives a second target audience in verse 5. Those who are a little bit older and already gained some wisdom. He said, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. See, the young and inexperienced need this book, but so do the wise and discerning. Because you never, ever, ever outgrow your need for wisdom. 
This book is for everyone. And there's only one category of person who's excluded. And that's the fool mentioned in verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Paul says the fool despises wisdom and instruction, so Proverbs is not for them. They're not going to listen to it anyway. So, so, so we should study and master the book of Proverbs because of its author, because of its purpose, and, and because we are all part of its target audience. Those are all important and true, but not the most important reason. The most important reason is this, because of its focus. And its focus is on God. It is a God-centered focus. The world is full of self-help tips. Bookstores are filled with self-help books. You can buy all sorts of books and magazines that can tell you how to lose weight and how to have a fantastic love life and how to de-stress your life and declutter your house and how to become a millionaire. Well, I'm old enough now and have observed enough of the world and human behavior to realize that all of the secular self-help stuff promises a thousand times more than what it delivers. But the book of Proverbs is absolutely unique because of its theme and its focus, which is in verse 7, the first phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, Proverbs is not just a set of life principles for us to apply. It also teaches us about a God that we need to worship. There is no knowledge or wisdom apart from a proper attitude and relationship to the true and living God. And if you and I are going to live wisely and well, then it all begins with the fear of the Lord. So you say, okay, Larry, what's the fear of the Lord? What's that mean? Well, fear is usually seen as being a negative thing, like we're cowering under the table someplace hiding. But we need to remember that fear is sometimes very, very appropriate. When you're standing close to the edge of a cliff with nothing between you and a 400-foot drop-off, then some wholesome fear is a very good thing. When you're about to touch a, a hot stove with your bare hands, then wholesome fear will keep you from doing something really, really stupid. Uh, when we're living life in sight of the God who has created all things, including us, then wholesome fear is a very appropriate response. Not fear as cowering under the table, but fear as to knowing who God is and knowing that He is God and we are not and acknowledging our dependence on Him and seeing His power and His holiness as well as our own flawed humanity. I like to think of the fear of the Lord as being such an overwhelming sense of awe and respect. That I am so awed by who God is. I have such incredible respect for who God is that I'm going to listen to Him and obey Him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. That, that, that we are, we're not cowering in fear that God's going to zap us with lightning bolts, but we are so overwhelmed with the glory of God and the power of God and the character of God, and, and we have such an awesome respect for Him that we're going to do what he says. We're going to listen to what he says. We're going, to, we're going to do what he says. The wonderful devotional writer Oswald Chambers once said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Interesting thoughts. When you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. But if you don't fear God, you're scared of everything else. And see, Proverbs 
gives us, gives us the skill to live well. And it does so with a God-centered focus, one that we need desperately in our lives. I want to close with one verse in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Luke chapter 11 and verse 33. You know, as great as Solomon and his wisdom were, we know someone who has wisdom even beyond Solomon's. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ was teaching, he made a very interesting statement. Luke 11, I'm sorry, verse 31, not verse 33. Verse 31. Luke 11, verse 31. Jesus said, The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, the queen from Ethiopia, who came 2,000 miles to hear Solomon, will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. You see, as great as Solomon and his wisdom were, Jesus Christ said, a greater than Solomon is here. And he said, the queen of Sheba is going to rise up in the last day of judgment and she's going to condemn all the men in this generation who stood here and listened to me speak and wouldn't pay attention to what I was saying. She traveled thousands of miles in a camel caravan to get to Solomon and listen to him talk. And here, here he said, I'm standing right here in front of you. A greater than Solomon is here, but you won't hear me. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you see, only when we submit to him and admit our sin and trust him completely, will we ever be able to understand godly wisdom and live well for the glory of God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, we all desperately need your wisdom. We desperately need to understand the teachings of this book. Certainly our young people, our children and our grandchildren need to understand the teachings of this book. And we who have been around a long time and feel as though we've gained an element of life wisdom, uh, we know we never have enough. As Solomon said, the wise man will hear and increase learning. Lord, we know we, have never, we will never have arrived in this life with all the answers for all the questions. Lord, help us to look to you, to study your word. As we spend these next upcoming many weeks looking at the book of Proverbs, I pray, Lord, that we will be challenged and encouraged and lifted up and all of our wisdom will be deepened. And we certainly, Lord, do pray for our young people. Such a challenging time in this world. Such difficult things that often many of them face. Lots of very negative pressures. Lord, may we emphasize that verse 10 of chapter 1, we just passed over briefly today. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent, do not give in. May we teach our young people to stand firmly against sin and against the, against the temptations of this world. And may we who claim to be older and wiser 
be able to walk aright and uh, be uh, the right kind of role model for those who are coming along behind us. Lord, we know that you are our God who has all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are all in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we seek you and find you when we search for you with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.